to share this good news, but I'm pretty excited. Uh, this week, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, he sent me an email. Uh, a little surprised he was using Gmail, but nonetheless. Uh, and he told me that I have won the Facebook lottery. So, uh, yeah, and I didn't even know I entered. But uh, I guess anyone who uses Facebook is in. And uh, now we're still working out the details, still working out the details. There's been a problem on me receiving the prize, but I'm expecting it soon. And then also, if that wasn't good enough, I got an email from some federal agency in the United States saying I may be a victim of an internet scam. And, uh, but they caught it early. They caught it early, so I have nothing to worry about. And they've offered me an $800,000 compensation for my troubles. So uh, deacons, no need to worry about the Christmas Eve offering. I'm feeling quite good about stuff. All right, no need to worry, everyone, no need to worry. They are delightful emails to get, though, much better than the scam emails you get. Or, uh, you know, the ones from the CRA that say you are now going to be arrested and there is an arrest warrant out for your, you know, unless you call the uh, 1-800 number. Uh, let me just introduce myself quickly. My name is Jeff Bennett. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor. And for our online community and for those here in person, just a warm welcome this morning. Uh, we have a phrase in the English language that helps us process uh, those kind of emails and other things that may come our way. The way we say it in English is, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And it's a good reminder for all of us when sometimes you hear really good news, be a little bit skeptical, be a little bit cautious. And I think to a degree, we are all wired that way. When we hear really good news, uh, rightly so, especially in the day and age we live in, we should be cautious. But if you wanted a summary of the Christmas story, and what we'll see today and when we open up the Bible, is that it is good news. It is great news it is unbelievable news, almost news that seems too good to be true. And so most times, if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is, is good advice. But this morning, we come to some significant news. And Luke, who is writing this in his Gospel of Luke, 24 chapters, he's starting in chapter 1, before he's going to get to the birth of Jesus that Russ read earlier for us today, he's going to now begin to set the stage for us for the birth of Jesus. And you remember, Luke is writing this 24 chapters to a man named Theopolis. And his goal, the reason he's writing this long book to Theopolis, is to persuade him, to convince him to believe in the good news of Jesus. That's Luke's mission. That's his purpose. And so he opens up his gospel of Luke with a story of one character, a story of a person to help Theopolis learn and all of us learn how we might respond to the good news of Jesus. Because what Luke wants from Theopolis is a response. And in fact, what we would say the good news of Christmas requires a response from all of us. So let me introduce you to this character and the good news of Christmas. And then we'll see how he responds. And then we can also then process the good news of Christmas for us and how we may respond. The character's name is Zachariah. And let me tell you three things about him. First, his family. Well, first, he is very old. He's married to a wife named Elizabeth, and both of them are very old, and they have no children. They were unable to conceive. 
That's the first thing you should know about Zechariah. The second thing is the Bible records, and I like this phrase, he was a righteous and blameless man. Wasn't a perfect man, but he was a good man. He was righteous and blameless. That's the second thing we could learn about him. And then the third, we would learn his occupation. He was a priest in the nation Israel. One of probably, and again, if we look back in time, other sources, probably about one of 18,000 priests in the nation of Israel. And what would happen with the priests in Israel, they, they all couldn't be at the temple in Jerusalem serving all the time. So they would come into Jerusalem, serve at the temple for a, a period of time, and then they would go back to their hometown for the rest of the year where they would live out their priestly duties there amongst the people there. As we pick up the story with Zechariah, he's in Jerusalem, he's serving at the temple, and the highlight of a priest, the highlight of their career one of the high points would have been the moment that they were selected to go in to the temple, into the holy place and light incense before the evening offering. And there were so many priests that you only got to do that once in a lifetime. And there were so many, they had to draw lots to see whose opportunity it would be. And if you're not familiar with the story, you sort of know where the story's going to pick up. Zechariah's name gets drawn. It's his turn. And so he's going into the temple behind the curtain into this holy place to light the incense. That's where Luke sets the stage for us as he's beginning to tell us the Christmas story or preparing us for the birth of Jesus. There's Zechariah. He's lighting the incense and an angel appears before him. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Do not be afraid. I'm glad the angel said that because I'm sure he was afraid. But then he says these wonderful words, your prayer has been heard. And just as an aside, isn't it nice to hear that report from heaven? That God is hearing our prayers that no prayer is lost. We don't often get that affirmation and that confirmation, but there it is right in Scripture. God hears our prayers. But the angel is saying more to Zechariah than just your prayer has been heard. He's saying your prayer now God is answering. He is putting in motion the answer to your prayer. And so we wonder, what was Zechariah praying? What was he praying that now God is going to answer? Well, one prayer he could have been praying and may have been praying in that moment was for a child. Him and his wife are older in age and certainly any culture, anytime, especially in this culture, they would have longed to have a child. Although he may not be praying that at the moment. Again, you sort of get to a point where you pray a prayer over a long period of time. Doesn't, God's answer is no towards you and they may have stopped praying that prayer. So we're not sure exactly what the prayer is, but certainly at some point in their lives, they would have prayed for a child. But then what else would Zechariah be praying? What would he be praying in that special moment, the highlight of his priestly career as he enters there to light the incense? Well, what would a good priest pray? And Zechariah was a good priest. He was a righteous and blameless priest. What was the role of a priest? The role of a priest was to say, pray and say, God, would you come towards the people? Would you draw near the people? And a priest would also pray, Oh God, turn the hearts of the people back towards you. A priest's job is to bring the God, God to the people and people to God. And so I think it would be fair to assume that Zechariah in that moment was at least praying something along those lines. 
God, would you become more real to our people and would you draw the people back to yourself? If he's a good priest, that would make sense. You know, just think of my own case. If you were to say to me, oh, Jeff, what do you pray about? And I was to say, well, you know, primarily I just pray for myself all the time. You know, and I pray my family a little bit when it's, when, it, when it's needed, when it's a crisis. And as far as harboring you, no, not at all. No, no, sorry, don't really have time. You know, like, again, that, that wouldn't be righteous and blameless. Zachariah is a good priest. And so he's probably spending time praying for his people that, that God would draw near to them and that they would know God more. And the angel says, your prayer has been heard. And now the angel goes on to tell us the two things that are going to be answered. One, he says, you are going to have a son. His name used to be John, and he will be the greatest prophet who ever lives, greater than any Old Testament prophet. And then the angel said, and your son is going to have a ministry. And his ministry is going to be bringing the people back to God. In fact, your son is going to prepare people to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. What the angel said is Jesus is coming, the Savior of the world, and your son, John the Baptist, will help get people ready to receive the good news of Jesus. So literally, Zechariah hears news that is too good to be true on both things that he could have been praying. On prayer number one, we'd like a son, we'd like a child. Check, John the Baptist will be born. Elizabeth, his wife, will become pregnant. And on prayer number two, God, would you draw near the people and would you provide salvation for the people? Check, the angel says that God is gonna rescue people from their sin. And that's why John the Baptist would be the greatest prophet ever because he announces Jesus Christ. You remember later on, Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist stands back and he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And as we read the book of Luke, other times we'll hear Jesus say those same words, your sins are forgiven. And Zechariah hears this news that Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world, is coming on the scene. There is good news. There is unbelievable news. And it's almost like Luke, who's writing this to the man Theopolis, is saying, Theopolis, here's the news that you need to hear. There's nothing more important that you need to hear than there is a Savior. Theopolis, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Theopolis, your greatest need in all of life is to have your sins forgiven. So that's the news that Zechariah hears. So how does he respond? How might he, what does he do next? And here's what Luke records for us. He simply writes this, Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. How does Zechariah respond? He does not believe it. He just can't process it, right? He's unsure and he's really saying, I need more. I need more evidence. I don't believe what you have told me. Now, just as a little bit of an aside here, it's interesting, you know, Zechariah hears this whole global plan of God. I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to save people from their sins and restore all of humanity to right relationship with me. And Zechariah responds like you and I would. What, we're having a baby? What, she's pregnant? 
No, and it's almost like David's saying, Zachariah, you missed the big news. And Zachariah's like, so nine months? You know, he's just stuck in the immediate. He can't even hear the greater news because he's still sort of in his personal world. And we give Zachariah a lot of grace because we probably would be exactly in the same category. He just doesn't see the big picture. He doesn't see the ultimate solution that God is offering to our sin problem. So then Gabriel responds. I so love what Gabriel says in this moment. He says this, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. I love how Gabriel just gives his resume. I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and he sent me here to tell you this, all right? If you don't believe me, I got nothing else, right? This is, this is true. This is the reality. And in some ways, again, in some ways, here's what Zachariah's saying. I'd like more evidence. You know, I'd like some more evidence. And in some ways, Gabriel does give him more evidence, right? What we read in the text is probably the best we understand it is Zechariah became silent. He lost his hearing, couldn't hear, and couldn't speak for nine months. And so Zechariah, you want a reminder. You want to know this is true. You're not going to be able to hear or speak for nine months. But just for a moment, just think of the gift of this that God gives Zechariah. Certainly we wouldn't have want, we all would have wanted Zechariah to say, I believe I believe what you've said, and I put my trust in him, but he doesn't. But God gives him this wonderful gift. Here's the gift. The gift is silence for nine months to ponder, to think about the news he has just heard. And as you keep reading through in Luke, when he eventually gets his hearing back and his voice back, he's clear on what God is up to. He proclaims it. He has nine months to ponder and think about the depth of this good news. But here's the other thing Gabriel says. He not only says, I'll give you evidence if you're, I'll give you a sign, you can be silent. But then he also says this, you will be silent until the day this happens or, and which will come true at their appointed time. Here's what Gabriel's saying. God has this master plan and he is unfolding his purposes in the world. And Zechariah, whether you believe it or not, God's plan is unfolding. He, this is what is going to happen. God is at work. The plan, the eternal plan of God moving into a new season with the coming of his son to the earth. As you read these words, you think Luke's writing to Theopolis. It's almost like I can hear Luke saying to Theopolis, don't be like Zechariah. I'm writing you 24 chapters to tell you about Jesus don't be like Theopolis. Just trust in Jesus. Just believe Theopolis in what you are hearing. If I could summarize it in one phrase, it would simply be this. Just take God at his word. Theopolis, just take God at his word. And we remind ourselves how often we fail to take God at his word. And what might the message of Christmas be? What might the message of all seasons be? That God has spoken through the person of Jesus Christ and he simply invites us to put our trust in that, to take God at his word. 
And as you might think about that today, your response to this good news, Jesus, the Savior of the world, let me just give three different categories, three different places where you may have opportunity to take God at his word. The first is dealing specifically with our salvation. What the angel announces is that Gabriel came to save us from our sin. Our greatest need is forgiveness of our sin. And John the Baptist declared, Behold Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And so this morning, I have good news. Your sin can be forgiven. Your relationship can be restored with God. You can be sure of your eternity if you would just simply place your trust in Jesus Christ. Make him the Savior of your life. Ivan, thank you for your testimony, sharing that moment where you turned from your sin and where you trusted in Christ, surrendered your life to him and the change that he has brought in you. And that is what God would say to all of us today. Take me at, your, take me at my word. Your sin can be forgiven. Your guilt removed and right relationship restored with me. Wouldn't this morning, if you've never done that, in the quietness of your heart, just say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. But then if that's the first category, the second category may be this, to take God at his word. For some of you, you're in a hard, difficult, distressing time. Maybe that's been the theme of the year or the theme of the fall or the theme of the week, but you're in some circumstance where it's just hard to believe in the hope and the help that God brings. You just say, God, are, are you enough? I'm not sure if you're enough. I, I need something more. I need something else. And God might invite us all today just to take him at his word that he is enough. He is all that we need for hope and help now and for all eternity. I love Psalm 60, 62 verse 1. David writes this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. It's like David is saying, God, I know you are enough, but I just got to wait before you in silence to receive it. It's like David, he's the struggle of trying to work this out in real life. He's like, I know practically, I know theologically you're enough, but yet practically, God, I'm just waiting for you alone before me to fill me and to give me the hope and the help that I need. And maybe some of you today, you just need to wrestle through that. You need to come to that spot where you say, God, you are enough. I don't need any more. I take you at your word. And what the promise of God is that we can survive any situation. In fact, we can thrive each internally in any situation because of what he has done for us. So that would be the second category where we take God at his word. The first is for our salvation. The second is for that he is enough in the midst of hard or difficult seasons. And then the third category, the broadest of the three, and I was reminded of it when the angel Gabriel said, this is God's global plan. These, this is what God is doing. God is at work. This is what is happening. And it's a good reminder for all of us that we are not the main character in the drama of our own life. We are a part of God's eternal story, and each of us have the privilege of playing just at most maybe a hundred-year part, 
as a little actor in God's global story, God's eternal story. It's a good reminder that God's purposes are unfolding through the birth of Jesus and through eventually one day the return of Christ. And we have a purpose and a plan and a role to play under that. And so taking God at his word would say, God, that my life, may my life be about your story, your purposes, and your plans. For some of you, that means you need to follow Jesus more. You need to live differently. You need to be bolder. You need to go deeper in your faith. You need to fix relationships. You need to forgive. But in any case, because we are a part, our lives should be a part of God's story, we should live decidedly differently because of who God is and his eternal plans. Our lives should showcase the worth of Jesus Christ and all he did on the cross. And that third point just challenges us to take God at his word and live differently as a result of our faith and trust in him. So those are the three ideas. Where do you need to take God at his word? Is it to receive him as savior? Is it for help in hard times? Or is it simply just to say what matters most is taking up my cross, following him, being a disciple of Jesus? You know what I appreciate about Zachariah in the story is he's He's an ordinary guy, and he's doubtful and fearful. We are just like him. Ordinary, doubtful, and fearful. But Zechariah receives the grace of God, and God has that same for us each and every day. We are just people in need of the grace of God. And so if you would let me just be a priest today, God wants to draw near to each one of us. And my priestly heart would be for each of you. Would you turn towards him? Would you take God at his word and receive what he wants to offer you today? Let me pray for us this morning. God, we come weak and ordinary, doubtful and fearful. God, in the midst of all the situations, But, oh, God, we thank you for Jesus, the Savior of the world, and how that changes everything. And so, God, we pray, Lord, you see our small faith, God, but we want to place it in a big God, in a big Savior. And so, God, we pray today, Lord, for grace to know you and to trust you and to receive all that you want to offer to us. And, God, even as we pray that for each of us here today, God, I also just pray now and pause and pray for Pastor Mark. He's away from us now, but God, we pray together that he would know the depth of all of these promises that you have for him. So God, thank you, Lord, that you are our all-sufficient Savior. God, that when we wait in silence before you, we can receive all that we need. You have all that we need. We need nothing more. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. Let me just say a word of thank you to all of the people that work so hard to make this time happen. One of our hearts for this year as a church was to learn to grow in our sharing of our lives with one another. And so for those of you that served to make this happen, thank you for helping us accomplish that goal. Thank you also for so many. Amen. 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 And I think we are growing as a church and sharing our lives with one another, not only as represented today, but I hear so many stories 
of what, what happens and how many things just happen as we share our lives during the week. And so here would be my heart. What we did this morning for the first 15 minutes, let's just repeat that 100, 200, 300 times over in our own homes. You don't need to put a pie in the face of a visitor, but yet let's just continue to share our lives with one another. If you're new to Harbor, a special welcome to you. We close each service with four words. It reminds us that we gather to look up and connect with Jesus, but it doesn't end there. We want to remind ourselves that we have a mission. We have good news to share. And so we always end with these four words, Harbor, we are sent.